Media Roots Radio, everybody. This is your co-host, Robert Martin. And this is your host, Abby Martin. And we're sitting here in a, uh, in a beautiful day. It's been raining a lot here recently. Um, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Please go to MediaRoots.org to check out everything that we're talking about on the show, all the major headlines and the information. Go to our SoundCloud timeline to check out the resources that we're talking about in the show as well, music, intro, outro, and bumper music. Um, and donate to MediaRoots.org if you want to see these broadcasts keep going. We're totally grassroots and independently funded, um, and we're always encouraging donations to help keep Media Roots totally grassroots and not sponsored by any corrupt business or corporations. <laughs> um, yeah, so... We're going to start off the show. It's been a couple weeks since we've done a broadcast. Um, we've done a couple interviews in the meantime, but we just wanted to go over some headlines that have been happening. One of them is obviously the bombing of Libya, totally just out of the blue. Um, we had this whole wave of revolution going across the Middle East, Egypt, um, Libya, and then all of a sudden, um, we just started bombing them. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Good job. It reminds me a lot of the um, our involvement in Bosnia uh, when when I was probably too young to really understand what was going on uh, in the mid-90s. And the reason it does so much is not because NATO is involved and not because it's just a primarily, you know, supposedly a UN-spurred um, operation, but it's because there's a Democrat in charge of a war of his own making. And it just makes it just reveals kind of how the hypocrisy in Democrats and the people who screamed about the Iraq war and all the wars that Bush launched. And now they're all cheering it on, just like you said. I mean, what's funny is that they actually voted for the Iraq war. Congress did. Yeah. It's just funny. People are like scoffing at the idea that this is unconstitutional and that Obama. Oh, but he had to go in. It was for humanitarian reasons. It's like you could say the same thing for Iraq. That's what the conservatives and the neocon hawks were saying about Iraq. They were saying that it was necessary for humanitarian reasons because Saddam Hussein was an evil, brutal dictator who gassed his own people 20 years ago, even though we were friends with him at the time. Yeah, the, the difference between the way the Republicans do it, or, or at least the neocons did it with the Iraq war, is that it was like a extremely detailed, I wouldn't even call it a triangulation campaign. It was almost just like a quadrahedron campaign. I mean, they had so many different angles to try to tug at people's emotions to get them to be behind it. Yeah. One of them was humanitarians. I think that one was kind of for the anti-war The other one was liberals. the scary weapons, yeah, of, mass the weapons of mass destruction. He broke the rules. That was kind of like the anti-global community thing. Yeah. I mean, there's so many angles to it. And then it became and like And also a, just, of course, emotionally pulling on 9-11 with every absolutely, statement yeah. that was said. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. And it's so funny to see just a reversal. I mean, we say this all the time, but I just, it's still mind boggling to me. I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. Um, it's just absolutely astounding to see the liberal backing of this war. After 9-11, um, you know, when the axis of evil term got coined, I mean, it, I don't, it didn't get coined by Bush. I mean, it was existed for, I don't know when it was first used, but Bush used it for North Korea, Iran, Iraq, Iraq. I think it was Iraq. But I remember there was a few other little satellite countries that were kind of like... On the radar? Not officially in the axis of evil, but kind of like unofficially. One of them is Libya. What Libya was doing at the time was, I guess, Gaddafi was kind of like a blowhard like he is today. And he was saying openly that he wanted to become nuclear, like he wanted to get nuclear weapons. Um, 
so Bush basically claimed that by by our policies and by our demeanor after 9-11 kind of like we take you know we, we any nation that supports terrorism is you know our terrorists or whatever uh <laughs> libya basically um became uh a country that we put pressure on um just through our kind of like strutting around and uh they <laughs> But what's interesting about, yeah, I mean, our support for our kind of demonizing Libya in the public forum, but at the same time, we're selling them weapons annually. I mean, just this last year, and this was, I mean, Bush was doing this definitely, but in in this last year, Obama's actually ramped up um, the supply of military arsenal to these Middle Eastern countries that are now incurring revolution. We we did it to, um, or these North African countries, we did it to Egypt and Libya. That goes right into what I was saying before, that basically we were, we have been chastising Libya and we we're kind of sparring with them, you know, ever since I can remember. I mean, before I was born, Ronald Reagan tried to assassinate Gaddafi. He failed. Um, and then Bush, after 9-11, was, you know, one of the the thing, the countries in the crosshairs was Libya, one of the countries of interest probably because it had something to do with PNAC. I mean, I'm sure if you break down some of the think tanks game theories on on what, you know, resources we need in that area, Libya is definitely like, you know, top in the top 5. Um Yeah, absolutely. Um so there's this article from Business Week and this is on Media Roots right now talking about how much in private arms sales worldwide just in 2009 alone 40 billion dollars in worldwide private arms sales 7 billion of that 40 billion went to Egypt and Libya so it's just really 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 crazy that first we sell them all their military might and then we're fighting their military might <laughs> we're actually like fighting our own weaponry and just last year we were propping them up i mean we hear all this rhetoric about propping up dictators and oh people don't really understand what that means, but we were literally propping up politically and financially the dictatorship of Libya. It's a tale as old as time. You know, ever since the Industrial Revolution, um, you can trace American, you know, car manufacturers and, and engine manufacturers to, you know, the German war machine, the British war machine. I mean, they were supplying not not directly the the actual sh- at that time you know the countries made their own actual armaments but the pieces and the components to them were made by multinational corporations that were funding many sides in the war i mean Absolutely. not to mention the the whole prescott bush you know industrial revolution tycoons the railroad tycoons and and such actually funneling funneling money into hitler yeah, and that's what people don't talk enough. Okay, we're living in a global community right now. People don't talk enough about these multinational corporations and how much pull they have on policy. We just kind of think of it as these countries and we throw up this empty, baseless rhetoric about humanitarian reasons and about helping people and about weapons of mass destruction. But really, when you're looking at it, it's just these huge military contractors that pretty much pull the strings and these bankers. And we just Absolutely. look at these commissions that they're a part of with our politicians, looking at things like PNAC, looking at things like the Trilateral Commission and Bilderberg Group and what they're talking about, these documents that they're drafting, they're very out in the open. And they talk openly about these resources that need to be gained and controlled. So I just... I, I don't understand how people like buy into this just facade. I mean, it's all laid out. It's not hard. It's not conspiratorial. It's just the truth. It's the stark reality of it. 
and and it's it is actually it it's so predictable too that people would buy into this facade. And when you say people, I I think I mainly think of like the Democrats and the people who are usually would be against something like this, or, sure. or you would think they are. And and I mean, they there's several layers to this facade that they want people to latch onto. One of them is they want people to think it's a multinational joint effort between all these nations. Um, they want people to think that it's a coalition of the willing, basically, yeah, just yeah. like Bush wanted us yeah. to think. And and remember that part from Fahrenheit and eleven where he kind of deduced that to, you know, the different countries that actually were sending soldiers and how many units they sh- they actually sent to Iraq. And it was like pittance, you know. I and mean, it was all co- it countries was, that we probably like threatened that we would yeah. take away funding I mean, it was, and stuff if they didn't. They it was all just political. I yeah. mean, really, what it was was it's like if you say you're part of this coalition, you know, that's all that matters. You're just in name only kind of. Of course, yeah. But even now. Uh, it's more of a joke with the Libyan thing because it's only like a you know a handful of nations that are actually on board with it. Most nations are against this right now. I think it's France, England, and the United States. I'm I'm not sure who else is actually for it, but maybe probably Israel. Um, probably, I'm sure. But I mean, beyond that, <laughs> I don't think that there's any bigger you know thing going on. And the whole United Nations things too is a joke. I mean, we run the United Nations. I mean, the most powerful nations in the United Nations run the show. They don't have any actual power, and they've always been just kind of a an engine for you know glo- globalization. And they have been involved in a lot of unnecessary military actions. I mean, they were basically behind sending weapons inspectors into Iraq. Everyone talks about how, you know, oh, we didn't find weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, so therefore it was an illegal war. But, I mean, why would having weapons of mass destruction in the first place, or, you know, that's a a stupid, loaded, fake word anyways, but why should the U.N. even get involved in that? Choose Iraq. I mean, they had nothing to do with 9-11. It was, they do what we want them to do. Yeah, it's the pre-propaganda once again. Yeah, I mean, the weapons inspectors were told to stop looking and and the, we we basically acted like the Iraqis weren't complying with complying, us but they totally were and we just like keep kept shortening the time window shortening it shortening it until basically we're like they're not complying like we need to yeah. go in i mean it was a total setup from the beginning i mean there was a the fact that we did that i mean but but even that people bought into that notion that after 9-11 now we need to go after yeah. nations that harbor weapons of mass destruction that concept in and of itself is absolutely asinine it's amazing did you did you hear about evo morales the bolivian president trying to get obama to re- give up his peace prize did no i didn't that? hear that but i mean it's it's now he has his own war i mean he has a, a third open public war it's like he we're living in Orwellian times. Pseudo Orwellian. It's Pseudo-Orwellian, it's the whole idea yeah. of the soft, soft fascism. fascism. The 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 clamp coming down which you you cannot see or feel. Yeah. You can't see <laughs> the telescreens, but they're pretty much everywhere. Um the the worldwide private arms sales that we were just talking about, that's actually increased from the Bush term seven percent. So, you know, just once again, one more thing that Obama's actually exacerbating is these private arms sales to basically propping up dictatorships just pawns around the world with arms sales that's what that's what we love to do and then we love to use them later if we want to fight them or use them for our own you know to pursue our own agenda yeah and this whole this whole idea um i was reading a of course a glenn greenwald article today um about the koch brothers or the Koch brothers or whatever the coke i don't i mean is it coke is that how you pronounce it i don't know um, that every that all the liberals are obsessed with right now because you know they're they're behind the supposed 
you know, push to get rid of public unions and, and so forth. You know, I'll leave that aside. I'm not, we're not going to talk about that today in our show, but basically what he was saying is there was an interview with the Koch brothers and they were like, you know, Obama is from a, a school of communist, you know, hard leftist, uh, ed, um, scholarly thought and, his parents were, you know, hardline, old school leftists, you know, who believed in Marxism and all this stuff. And, uh, and, you know, he's, he's, um, he's anti, you know, corporation, he's anti, he's anti big business and all, and all this stuff on and on and on. And Glenn Greenall was just pointing to all these examples over and over again about how, you know, big business, um, groups and, you know, a lot of think tanks on wall street basically, openly talk about how it's like the one of the best like last two years for corporate profits ever in the history of oh, yeah. of the the economy. Oh yeah. I mean, the gap between rich and poor has gotten so great that n- right now they're at their greatest gains ever. I mean, yeah. uh, literally right now. And you look at who's the biggest profit profiteers, banks and military companies. It's like, what the fuck? And everyone is completely poor. The economy's in shambles and we're just indebted in these yeah. wars. It's like, wait, let's put and the then, pieces together here. And we're trapped in this stupid, um, you know, brain puzzle almost of people, you know, it, it's, a, it's a back and forth polarized nonsensical debate where people say, well, he's a communist. He's a socialist. He's anti-business. He's, he's, an, you know, he's not for the, for, for, um, you know, capitalism or whatever. And then you have him actually opening all these doors and, and allowing all this policy to take place, yeah. which which is the biggest corporate sweep ever. Yeah. I mean, the stimulus package. I mean, I don't know. It just it just again illustrates how you know, just like the how Libyan easy thing. it is to rebrand something and have people just buy it again. Yeah, and or 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 the Libyan thing about how having this polarized, you know. If my if my president, who's a Democrat, does something, it must be right, you know, and I'm going to defend it against, or or you must believe the inverse of something like it. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it, it polarizes to such an extent where it destroys people's ability to see the reality of it. It destroys and, critical thinking and yeah. just logic. I mean, yeah. we should be talking about just what's going on. We should be talking about reality. Instead, we are caught up in this propaganda game. And we're caught up in this debate between blue and red, our our team versus your team, and and this faith based system where people just believe in their party, believe in their leader, and it's it's just really sad that we don't have more critical thinkers in this country to ask questions about just what's happening. If you disagreed with something when it was happening for the last eight years or the last ten years, why do you agree with it now? Um, just ask yourself, would you agree with Bush's stance if it was identical to Obama's on Bradley Manning and Libya? I mean, I just hope that you can just look inside yourself and realize that it's wrong no matter who's doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of this, this kind of situation where you have two families who are really tightly, tightly knit each, each family, um, in this neighborhood, they, they have a lot of members of their family that live in the neighborhood. So the, they're not really warring families, but they're, you know, two separate families and a member from one of the families, let's say the red family, um, the reds, uh, he kills someone in the neighborhood and almost all the evidence is overwhelming. It points to the fact that he killed someone, but everyone in the red family, of course, is defending the person that the, the suspect in their family, because He's a member of their family, and of course they're not gonna believe, want to believe it. And you know, and then a couple months passes, 
And then, uh, you know, the Blue family, while this was happening, was all, you know, up in arms. And, you know, why aren't they complaining? You know, why aren't they looking at their own, you know, right. son? He did it, obviously. And a couple months passes and the Blues family, <laughs> um, they have an incident where, you know, someone gets murdered in the neighborhood and, and the police and everybody in the neighborhood know that it was a member of the Blues family. Sounds like the mafia. Cousin. Yeah. So... So then what's happening while that that's going on is the Reds family is like, well, now it's obvious your, you know, your little cousin killed someone. And, you know, so stop pointing the finger at our, you yeah. know, our son for killing someone. It's like, you know, you're doing it too. And then it just turned into this back and forth loyalty game. <laughs> that was a terrible analogy that I just extrapolated. But <laughs> no, it's true because it, it is actually perfect to to compare it to like a family because government is like a parental figure to a lot of people. People hold up government as like a parent and they just trust it inherently because I've heard this over and over again, but people just don't want to believe and they don't want to live in a country that they know is doing fucked up shit. Yeah. And it's, they can't wait on their conscience. And, uh, and, and in some ways, um, that, you know, really backwards way of thinking that I would usually say is absolutely stupid that a lot of religious people say is that when you have a lack of religion or God in your life, you tend to, worship other things like money or or you know or government i mean if i feel like most of conservative america you know if they're supposedly christian um they basically become worshipers of the state they worship what the state does over jesus christ himself absolutely i mean jesus christ's teachings themselves actually contradict so many actions of the u.s government that you would basically have to trust and believe the U.S. government over your own religion to, to believe, you know, to have any sort of patriotism left. Yeah, I mean, religion has been so overplayed and used so politically, it's like meaningless now. I mean, people who say that they're Christian and all these politicians who use religion as like a backbone of all their their aggressive imperialism is just so hypocritical in its face. I mean, if Jesus was a real person, would he really support this whole, you know, just our stance, our aggressive foreign policy? Of course not. If you look at the basic tenets of what every religion is based upon, it's love and respect and peace and harmony. <laughs> and it's just like, how could you possibly use religion to justify killing? I mean, I don't know. It, it goes along with that what Bill Maher just said about Islam and how ignorant that was and basically generalized all Muslims as extremists who have the potential to you know be a suicide bomber basically because he's saying that that's what islam teaches it's the most ignorant bullshit i've ever heard yeah he started i think what you're talking about is that clip where he interviewed the the muslim congressman i think his name is keith ellison and he basically started by by going haha you know that glenn beck guy that interviewed you and, and said how do i know you're not the enemy wasn't that guy retarded yeah he was he was an idiot wasn't he and then without Go, you know, much time passing after that, he basically mirrored what Glenn Beck did to this guy, but in like a quasi, you know, liberal intellectual way. We're saying like, well, I, I quasi intellectual. Yeah, I do think um, uh, Muslim terrorism is the greatest threat because they want to get nuclear weapons. And then Keith Ellison was just like, well, well, first of all, Bill, what do you mean by they? Are you talking about Iran? Are you talking yeah, about yeah. Al Qaeda? And he's just like, well, just that they all do, or or something. He just kept he just kept making these bizarre generalizations where you realize he reveals his ignorance to you. He reveals that he is basically sucked into this bizarre blanket statement, you know, 
them, the the terrorists or whatever. I mean, that, that it means something at all. It means nothing. You know what? Let's play a little bit of that clip. Yeah, let's play let's it. Play. I mean, it's going to make me furious, but let's play let's it. Let's play a little bit of Bill Maher being completely ignorant and giant asshole. Let me get to the part where I think you, you may not agree with me, which is uh, I do agree that there are other uh, groups that pose a terrorist threat to this country. There are right-wing militias uh, who are nutty and the Ku Klux Klan and uh, abortion bombers and yep. Timmy McVeigh types. I would say that the threat from potentially from radicalized Muslims is a unique and greater threat. It is the greatest threat. So let me give you the reasons why I jotted down why. One, it's been going on a thousand years, this problem between Islam and the West. We are dealing with a culture that is in its medieval era. Uh, it comes from a hate-filled holy book, the Koran, which is taken very literally by its people. Uh, they are trying to get nuclear weapons. I don't think Tim McVeigh would ever have tried to get a nuclear weapon because I think right-wing nuts, they think they love this country and they are not trying to destroy this country. They want to get it away from the people they see as hijacking it. That's different than Muslim extremists who want to destroy it. Uh, and also it's a culture of suicide bombing, which is hard to deter from people who want to kill themselves. Well, I tell you, Bill, I think that you should investigate this issue a little more because I think that you're, you're lumping together things that shouldn't be lumped together and you're casting a very wide net uh, and uh, therefore coming to the wrong conclusions. First of all, uh, when you talk about they're trying to get uh, nuclear weapons, are you referring to Iran? Are you, who are you talking about? Al-Qaeda? I think anyone who is I mean, influenced by Al-Qaeda and the statements of Osama bin Laden and that's... Yeah, but, talk yeah, but, but Muslims aren't. I mean, there's 1.4 billion Muslims know, of in the course. world. Of no, course. No, no, one, no one is disputing that the vast, yeah. vast, giant majority of Muslims are not the problem. We're talking about a very small percentage, but it, it just takes one. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about terrorism. And obviously, there is something that is going on that they're getting from the Koran. Have you read Sam not, Harris's book, The End let me of tell Faith? You. They're he, not he says, getting it from the Koran. Let, you know, Bill, I, I'm glad. Let's, let's use this point for a moment. Because as you know, as a student of religion, you know, you can, their books are complex. They're compiled uh, and, and, and taking them out of context is a very easy thing to do. Uh, I've heard this many times and I don't buy it. I'm sorry. Well, Sam know. Harris says on almost every page, the Koran instructs observant Muslims to despise non-believers. That's absurd, ridiculous. And he and quotes it. It's Am I getting the wrong translation? Because that's what every Muslim always be. tells me. No, you must be. I, I, I would so A lot of bad translations then. Well, why don't you read the part where it says that anyone who takes a life is as if he killed the whole world, and anyone who saves a life is as if he saved the whole world. What about the one where it says that, that there be no compulsion in religion and that it's literally wrong? Well, then where are, where are the terrorists state? getting it's their there. instructions from? They're, well, getting like, for, they're getting it from like something any, else. Like any ideologue, they will take things out of context to do what they want to do. If you listen to terrorist rhetoric, Bill, what they do is they cite politics. They cite political grievances. So there's several um, infactual statements that he just made in that, in that bizarre um, rant against why he thinks um, Islam is the greatest threat or whatever he says with his bizarre stammer because he knows he's a fucking idiot when he's saying it. Yeah. He just wants to be all like, you know, like, I'm politically incorrect. Here's what I think. Um, but you're just a status quo um, parator. And basically, he says that 
you know, there are a culture of suicide bombing. I mean, I'm sorry, but uh, it's been shown, um, again, we're going to mention the book Dying to Win uh, by Craig Unger, basically talks about that statistically suicide bombing is not a Muslim um, thing. It's it's a symptom of an extremely desperate, uh, repressed population. It could be anywhere in the world that is poli- feels politically motivated. They're so desperate yeah. that they strap a bomb on themselves and kill themselves. Um, so that's, you know, error number one that he makes. Uh, error number two, which we mentioned earlier, was basically him saying that the Quran is a hate-filled, hate-filled holy, holy book. holy book. So offensive. Um, I mean, that's just a lie of omission. I mean, all religious books are hate-filled holy books. I mean, if you really want to want to talk about it. I mean, maybe besides wanna, like the teachings of Buddha. If you want to pick and choose from all yeah. the books, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the you know, the, the book is extremely hate-filled. I mean, uh, God destroys Sodom <laughs> yeah. because it's uh, they have a lot of sex and, and do debaucherous things. I mean, he just murders and destroys an entire civilization of people. It just <laughs> yeah, and then he also says that the whole Middle East is living in its medieval era. Okay, so where were we at a hundred years ago? We had slaves; women weren't allowed to vote. I mean, why don't we let these people just progress on their own accord? Is that a justification for us to go in and bomb them or do anything of the sort? Absolutely not. No, I mean, in and of itself, of course not. I mean, it, it, he's acting like you know if you're uncivilized and you're living in a in a pre you know industrialized era that you're you what you should be you should be manhandled and and forced and into submission with american according to who it's almost just like how dare you try to say what's right what's wrong i mean this is completely a different culture that you have no knowledge of bill maher clearly you don't if you think that the quran's a hate filled holy book and you think that all of them are medieval and backwards Clearly, you are coming from a place of deep ignorance. So how can you possibly interject your own opinion and say that what is medieval and what's not? I mean, there's a lot of things that we do that are barbaric. It's it's just a weird um, kind of Anglo-centric, like American way of looking at the world. I mean, it's 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 just it's based in partial myth and it's based in fear. I mean, he's afraid of the unknown. He doesn't. He probably doesn't really know any Muslim people who. Yeah, it's just like people who don't know to. any gay people. And yeah, just no, like it's talk a very similar. Yeah, um, they're just like, well, all gay people they're choosing to be like that. You're like, you clearly don't have one gay friend, at all. If you knew anyone who was gay, you would know that that is completely based on nothing. Um, it's just what you hear, like in. I don't know, and whatever propaganda you encounter on a day to day basis from your church or whatever. I mean, if you just live in back-ass Montana and don't know a single gay person yeah it's really easy to stereotype and and make your own assumptions based on nothing but yeah and then Bill Maher I think it was like two weeks ago he had Tavis Smiley on who I have a new respect for I hadn't really seen his show very many times but he's this black talk show host I think he's based out of Chicago and he does like a a public or sorry like a KQED talk show which is like kind of like an hour long I think and he Tavis Smiley was on the Bill Maher show and he basically Bill Maher went off onto this rant about how that thing that happened to the reporter in Egypt where she got gang raped, you know, that's symptomatic of, of Muslims. I mean, that's, that's, that's why it happened. What about our military? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was just a really stupid thing to say in and of itself. I mean, you know, 
I mean, not to say that the Muslim civilizations aren't sexually repressed and they probably have a lot of issues. I mean, I'm not debating that. But the fact yeah. that he would single that out and mention it as something to stand up on a soapbox and talk about just, again, just proves his ignorance and, and just that he's led by this propaganda. Yeah. What about our puritanical country? I mean, there's so many things wrong with sexuality and repression That's what Tavis Smiley country. was saying. I mean, he was saying it took, look how long it took for, to get women to be able to vote. I mean, yeah. look how long... I mean, it, the wage difference in, in America is still drastically different. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? Maybe if we weren't bombing these people and constantly keeping them down economically, then maybe they would have already achieved the things that we have achieved. Yeah, I mean, we act like we're the ones setting up the world to succeed, but in, instead we're actually like setting the They're world up to, up to fail. fail because we want, I mean, especially in situations like South America and stuff, I, I mean... You could talk about this endlessly, but what that's Bill what globalization is. Yeah. I mean, that's the inherent thing that's wrong about globalization, like just these maximization of profits with uh -huh. all these multinational corporations raping the third world in order to keep us basically at the status of the first world. Yeah, and to keep us and 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 the people, you know, other countries like us, and and Tavis Smiley was was saying, well, you know, he just said what you said that that you know women. You know, you can't single out Muslim countries or Muslims as being somehow, you know, the worst offenders against women. I mean, there's people all over the world, civilizations or, you know, people in the United States. And and Bill Maher was just like, you know what, Tavis, <laughs> tolerating intolerance doesn't make you a liberal anymore. That's so profound. And it was like he just thought he was so smart. He gave this little smarmy look and, and it was just it, you could just tell that that. Bill Maher thinks about things in this bizarre, narrow vacuum. Yeah, absolutely. And he thinks that he's so um, open and, and, and well, then his opinions have no bounds. You know, he's politically incorrect. Well, I mean, anyone who thinks, I mean, radical like Islam is the greatest threat facing humanity is clearly warped. I mean, yeah. it's not even like worth debating. Even if you count 9-11, say like even if you did count it as a real terrorist threat, which it wasn't, um, then it's still not the greatest threat. I mean, it's far from it. Especially not to us, not yeah. to our country. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, Maybe. and I'm and I have to I have to call out Mr. Scahill too because he was on the Bill Maher show, uh, the newest one, and he was, you know, he challenged Bill a little bit on the Libyan thing. Bill was trying to go down the typical, you know, we're doing this for their freedoms, for humanitarian reasons. And then they started going off on the underwear bomber and how, you know, why are we spending so much time fighting terrorism? You know, he contradicts himself a lot. He was like, why are we spending so much time fighting terrorism if this, you know, this underwear bomber guy couldn't even get his bomb off? And then they just started laughing about the underwear bomber guy as if he was like a real, yeah. it was like a real terrorist threat. Like, and then Jeremy Scahill is like, well, he did train in, uh, in Yemen, um, you know, so, and then, and it's just like, well, oh, wow. I'm, I'm sorry, sad. but. No, it's really easy to no, find out man. that that's actually completely untrue. <laughs> I, I just, mean, I just, I'm just surprised that people. I mean, I think, I think Jeremy Scahill is just trying to look out for himself, um, and I think he knows that that's bullshit. And it's, it is journalistically, it's immoral to not, you know, take responsibility for what you know is true and to not say those things. But I understand his position just because of how manipulative the media is and how cutthroat it is. He's already at a, yeah. at a point in the game where he probably thinks that he can get a show on MSNBC or something. So I, yeah, I, mean, I do not, understand. I'm not saying he has to be a 9-11 truther. I'm not saying any of these people have to say that, you know, the whole, you know, that there's no such thing as terrorism or whatever. I mean, they just have to, I just, I guess I just wish they would speak up more. I mean, like Michael Moore, for instance, 
I remember on the day of 9-11, it was either the day of or like the day after, there was a live TV broadcast of him doing some sort of book signing where he was saying there is no terrorist threat. There is no terrorist threat. And that was very poignant to me at the time because that's... Nobody was saying anything like that. It was It's taboo to still say that. People think you're an idiot if you say that until they ask you, well, what do you mean there is no terrorist threat? And you explain to them, well... You know, this idea that Al-Qaeda, the specter um, that has their tentacles all over the world, sleeper cells that can, can come get us, is a complete myth. It is also statistically just improbable to even yeah. be die of terrorism. If yeah. you're just looking at even accounting for 9-11. Yeah, I mean, and then, but when, once you start conflating all these people together and say, well, you know, well, the Taliban and, and Iran and Ahmadinejad and all that stuff, well, then you're just not using any sort of a word that actually has any real meaning. You're just yeah. using a catch-all word to basically umbrella any of America's like a giant historical overview of like the entire Middle East. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty sad generalization. It, it, yeah, it's it's once again it's lacking critical thinking in a genuine discussion of what these quote-unquote terrorist groups are, how they came to be, who funded them, propped them up. We're usually involved in a lot of that, so that's that's omitted. Um, one really quick thing, though, before we get too off tangent, is we were talking about the hijacking of Christianity into the political spectrum and using it to engage in, in our agenda. And I didn't know this until recently. Someone actually pointed this out on Media Roots um, on the forum on Facebook. But I posted a quote from George Bush Sr. that I thought was really relevant and shocking to me. Um, and I'll read that right now. He says, I don't know that atheists should be considered... Let me rephrase that. I don't know that atheists should be considered citizens, nor should they be considered patriots. This is one nation under God. Quote from George Bush Sr. And someone pointed out to me that actually one nation under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance after the Cold War. Because, you know, communism was this ungodly disease. <laughs> and We wanted to separate ourselves and make it seem like we were the inverse of communism. So we kind of you know, wore this badge of Christianity again. And it was, and it was again, just used for some sort of political tool, you know, by the U S government. Um, so funny people fed into that and, and it's just a rewriting of the history. I mean, people, Christians like to paint people like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington as these people that wanted to infuse, um, the teachings of Jesus Christ or, or even worse, the actual tenets of Christianity into the government. Um, but, I mean, there's obvious, ample evidence that they didn't. I mean, like we talked about in our Freemasonic broadcast, I mean, they obviously held ideals from Christianity, um, but they weren't. that wasn't the primary focus. Yeah, and let's get back to the, this is a perfect, perfect time to talk about the Constitution, and I know that it's being scoffed at a lot. Just talk of the Constitution and this rhetoric that's been hijacked by the Tea Party and a lot of liberals that we know kind of scoff at this un unconstitutionality of the Libyan bombing. But in reality, I mean, 
And they they also say, oh, it's such an archaic document, and it was done, you know, it was written by people who had slaves and and all this stuff. But it actually was a revolutionary document. The Bill of Rights and the Constitution were revolutionary. If we really had freedom of expression, which we don't anymore, and if we had freedom of the, freedom of the press, and if we really had the privacy rights that were instilled with our Bill of Rights and Constitution, then we would be a lot more free, and we'd be an amazing example of of the closest possible thing to freedom in the in the world and the fact that that's been so diluted and now the constitution is kind of just like a talking point that's discarded and scoffed at is really sad and i think that's it's goes back to so many things we've been talking about it just it it ties it back into the fact that once you know a group of people like the tea partiers or you know the libertarian right-wingers take the constitution and dilute it and use it to promote their bizarre um, hypocritical agenda like for instance like Michelle Bachman or Sarah Palin touting the constitution um, it creates this inverse reaction knee-jerk reaction from the other side people who hate Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and are just like well fuck the constitution what's so important about that I mean I'm not a constitutionalist that yeah like that shit's an old document written by a bunch of old men who you know hated women and black people um and i just think that's just such an uh, an irresponsible thing to think i mean without even knowing what's in the constitution yeah exactly. i mean at least know what's in it so that you can say okay so that you could have an educated opinion on it yeah and I, i just think you can't i mean you know there are things in the constitution that i'm sure i would agree with that need to be altered I mean, I because I'm not an expert in it. I, I don't know everything that's in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. But I mean, there are things in it that, to me, are so succinct and self-explanatory that I don't see any. I can't see any rational thinking person who believes in freedom disagreeing with it. Right. Like the First Amendment. Um, the Fourth Amendment. Yeah, I I don't understand. I honestly don't. I don't either. Um and. I was I actually had a little debate with someone on on Twitter on the Media Roots Twitter. I was saying just how this Libyan bombing is unconstitutional in its own right. It's an impeachable offense. I mean, if we're getting down to the brass tacks here, you know, taking all this rhetoric aside, it is unconstitutional. And this person was just like, "I don't understand why you're saying it's unconstitutional." Like kind of going along with what we're saying and using using that to say like, "Oh, how is it unconstitutional for yeah. us to engage in a UN bombing and I was just like well here like Dennis Kucinich explains it really well and I sent him this clip and he was just like sorry I can't take anything that goblin face twat says seriously and I was just like oh okay it was pretty shocking that he starts his argument about con- the constitutionality of, of engaging in a bombing campaign but then refuses to look at the reason why it's unconstitutional and just yeah. chooses to demonize the the messenger yeah he doesn't like it he just he said why is it unconstitutional? I'll, I'll, I'll boil down the debate for you. Why is it unconstitutional? <laughs> well, here's why it's unconstitutional. This person is explaining why. Response, I don't like that person. Right. That's it. I mean, yeah. that's, his, that's, that's the level of debate that people like to engage in because it's hard, too hard for, I think, people to actually think mm-hmm. and try to challenge their own rigid worldview. And let's play that clip really quickly. It's uh, Dennis Kucinich very eloquently explaining why this is an unconstitutional and impeachable offense. Muslim country in the space of one decade. Now, it's been called a just cause by our president, but the details do remain murky. 
Now, whether we like it or not, the United States is now engaged in yet another war within a Muslim country in the space of one decade. Now, it's been called a just cause by our president, but the details do remain murky. What is this effort going to cost American taxpayers? What does victory in Libya actually look like? Now, we were obviously quick to get in, but could anyone at the White House or on the Hill explain exactly how and, more importantly, when we're going to get out? Now, my next guest called this assault grave and says that it lacks constitutional authority. U.S. Congressman Dennis Kucinich is a Democrat representing the state of Ohio. Welcome so much back to the program, Dennis Thank Kucinich. Thank you very much. Um, I want to start with something that then-candidate Obama said back when he was running for office in 2007. He said that the president does not have the power under the Constitution to unilaterally authorize a military attack in a situation that does not involve stopping an actual or imminent threat to this nation. Now, fast forward to March uh, 2011. We went to this war essentially by presidential decree. Almost no public debates, uh, hardly any conversations with lawmakers or the people. Is this war legal? Uh, it lacks constitutional authority. The president has no constitutional basis for the order that he gave, sending armed forces into combat over Tripoli. So if it lacks constitutional authority, shouldn't there, should there not be consequences for this? Well, uh, there are consequences practically, and those consequences are political. Uh, whether con Congress wants to cause the president to submit to a process uh, for those consequences is uh, unlikely. But I will say this, though, that we are in a fourth war here, fourth front, because you have to count Pakistan plus Iraq and Afghanistan. When do these wars end? The United States does not have unlimited power here. We have to be very careful about making it appear that we're looking for opportunities to strike inside Muslim nations. We, we should be trying to find a way to affect a rapprochement with the Muslim community worldwide, which means getting out of Afghanistan, out of Iraq, out of, uh, uh, away from the incursions in Pakistan. That doesn't mean ceding to terrorism, it means you work with the world community on a police action to deal with terrorism. You don't drop bombs, which kill a lot of innocent people. But the argument that these folks who support this invasion say, well, hey, we have UN approval here. It's a global fight. Okay. Uh, it's good that the UN uh, is involved in security matters, except for one thing. When it comes to the United States, we have a prior process that trumps the U.N., and that's called our Constitution, which requires that presidents have to get congressional approval to take our country into war. If the president feels there's an imminent or actual threat to the United States, he can move forward. This threat is to citizens in Libya. That's regrettable. But last I checked, Libya isn't one of our states.
I love Dennis Kucinich. I do too. I'm still a little disappointed that he caved on the healthcare thing, but maybe his family was threatened up in that pri- <laughs> up in that private helicopter ride that he took with Obama. <laughs> maybe Obama's family is being held hostage at gunpoint. That's why he's uh, doing all these bad things. That's what someone said to our mom. Someone actually justified Obama's actions by saying maybe he, his family's kidnapped, and I mean that's how much faith is actually held in this man. It's really funny. I mean, I know cognitive dissonance has been an overused term, um, and I'm probably not using it right here, but I mean, it must be kind of hard to bring your mind into that place, to actually believe something like that. To, I mean, that's a pretty over-the-top scary thing to think, that your president is like being held up. Because then you'd host- have to <laughs> agree that there's like people holding them hostage and who are the people holding them hostage are the people they're the people who are like shrewdly guiding all of the corrupt policies so if yeah. you believe in this small group of conspiracy you know conspiratorial players then what do you really believe yeah you know i mean it's like these two contradicting and in a sense and in a sense theories. they're kind of right if you look at that symbolically because <laughs> i mean they've been they've been groomed and led into this position their whole life and they've been held hostage by the people that have been pulling the strings i mean on them the whole time yeah like metaphorically yeah yeah. because you know obama i'm sure as a person he wouldn't be doing all these things but he is being guided and he is being used and he's the pawn for these policies yeah the kennedy family in in i think it was the tell-all book that was like came out right after he won the presidency basically talks about how he was groomed from a very young age, even before, this is right after he wrote Dreams of My Father, um, even before he was a state senator, talking about how he's a potential, you know, future person they should look at for bringing into their fold. I mean, to kind of, you, I mean, use as, as someone, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit about the justification of humanitarian reasons of intervention once again, and just the blatant hypocrisy of that. I mean, if we really want to help countries, we would have gone into Sudan or Darfur. I mean, why didn't we bomb Egypt or Yemen? I mean, uh, clearly these resources in these countries are not something that are valuable enough to us to intervene militarily. And the fact that we're intervening militarily in Libya should just be a cause of great concern and, cause everyone to question the motive of why everyone should always question when we are using military might against a country what do we have to gain from it yeah i mean the fact that people are so unquestioning is the problem with our country i mean people should always question not only why are their tax dollars going to it because that seems to be the only thing that people most people ultimately care about but why are we killing people in our name for humanitarian reasons is it actually humanitarian i mean if we wanted to actually use our military or our money for humanitarian reasons we would have gone into the ivory coast we would have yeah. gone into liberia or we would have gone into uganda um darfur and and stop the genocide that was happening there um there's so many situations where if that was really our agenda and our concern that we would have already used it and and not to mention that Libya has been had money from us funneled into it for, you know, the last eight years or so. And uh, our actual planes and tanks over there are our killing own. people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, our, our military arsenal is what's killing the people in, in Libya right now. It's just the irony is just astounding. It never ceases to amaze me. 
Obama, basically what you're saying is that people have faith in Obama and what he's saying that he's doing it for humanitarian reasons. His followers have faith in him. It comes down to that. They have faith in a man they do not know, have not met, um, you know, barely know any of his real opinions. I mean, at this point, he he has switched on so many things, made so many reversals to the candidate Obama that, I mean, he really can't. He's kind of like John McCain in a way. I mean, you can't. That's very interesting, actually, that they that they ran against each other because between the two of them, I mean, I don't know what they really believe. I mean, they're such shifty, um, amorphous right. people. Right. Um, so you really just have to have faith. Just like any, just like a religion, just like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, if someone in your family murdered someone. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Put your fucking head in the sand and just have faith, Robbie. Because that's the only way that you can really face reality. And for some reason, it's easier for people to believe once a Democrat's in charge that they are using missiles and planes and bombs and machine guns for peace. Yeah. It's like, it's It's, like that. It's absurd. It's that old adage, bombing for peace is like fucking for virginity. It's like the most ridiculous contradiction ever. I mean, how could you kill people to save people? Does anyone else just see that that's just like in its face, like ridiculous? I mean, I, I the, the basic, what you just said, how could you kill people to save people? I mean, there are instances where someone is coming to invade your country. Of course, and yeah. you need to fend off invaders by killing them you know as of a last course. resort because that they're trying to kill you i mean but when it comes to when it comes to what, what's actually happening and what we do mm-hmm. is it's never because someone is threatening our shores or because yeah. of our country it's because we have these bizarre game theory projections machiavellian um, ideas where it was like we need to go into certain countries to get set up all these strategic um, things like a like this domino effect but it's always i mean we never really know it's, what's the end goal i can't help but think that putting a half black face on the policy is like making it easier to go into these North African (laughs) countries and like engage more with, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's part of it. I think it's, I think it's, it's like an easier sell for me. What's, what's most disturbing. I think that the world community, the, the, the educated, so-called educated, you know, Western uh, societies, they, Except Obama. I mean, it's the first president in my lifetime that I can remember that wasn't universally made fun of by Europe and by the world at large. I mean, our presidents have been a a running series of jokes to the rest of the world. So as far back as I can remember, Uh, Obama is the first president that was that isn't that's that people seem to love. I mean, that's part of why he won the Nobel Peace Prize. That's part of why um, when I'm on message boards, I see a lot of Europeans, people from the UK um, and Germany defending a lot of his policies. And, 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 and a lot of the times, a lot of those people are not even coming from the, you know, the same informed perspective that a lot of Americans are because they which don't shows, follow. Which shows you how it's being displayed to the rest of the world. Just like that girl from Finland that we interviewed for the Obama piece. We were just like, what did you think of the Bush administration? She was like, well, or I said, what did your family and you know your friends in Finland think? She was like, we hated Bush. He ruined the world. And we were like, well, what do you think of Obama? And she was like, we love it. And she said something like it was the end of stupid America. Yeah. It was the end of the stupid American because that's what they would think th- thought of us before. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, is understandable. I mean... I mean, uh, but I mean, not to mention that I mean, Europe, of course, is in the EU is all controlled, you know, pretty much by 
you know, large corporations just like we are. I mean, they're not, they're not yeah. separate from that, but yeah, I mean, I, it, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one other thing that that's a headline right now is that the chief psychologist during the height of the torture and scandal on Abu Ghraib, how do you say it? Abu Ghraib? in Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo in 2003 and 2004 has just been hired on to head this special task force to help military families. And Glenn Greenwald just wrote a very scathing critique, an amazing article once again on salon.com, also on media roots about who this guy is. And it's just terrifying. Why would we even be dealing with this man who's mm-hmm. responsible for overseeing all this torture and abuse? It's completely insane. And and I think he wrote a, an essay, kind of acting like he was. He was um, he was kind of thrown into the situation that that he needed to help out because it was so messed up. Um, it, it was called like my journey into hell or something like acting like he was sent into this, you know, situation where he needed to make things right that had been done wrong um, in the past. And and what's funny about that is that he is basically the John Yu of the of the prisons that we run. I mean, he was the guy there even worse in some ways, like in the same way that John, Yu gives all lawyers a bad name yeah. by providing that kind of coverage for someone, you know, so they won't get prosecuted or whatever. Um, this Larry, what's his name? Larry Brown. No. Larry, Larry James. Larry James is giving psych psychology a bad name by actually representing this and, and, and being part of this. I mean, yeah. And I mean, it's obvious that the whole, it was systemic. It wasn't just like a bad apple. I mean, we know that this whole reign of torture and abuse was completely systemic, widespread and rampant throughout all of our, you know, secret military bases that we had everywhere. It's in Bagram, Gitmo. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not just a bad apple and that's why this guy is completely at fault. He oversaw everything happening. It's just like Donald Rumsfeld, like passing the buck and just being like, well, I didn't know about it. It's like, really? Because yeah. you circled portions of the memo, like authorizing it and saying, I want more of this. I mean, mm-hmm. these people are just not held accountable and they're just given, they're actually like propped up more because of this. It's like, oh, you're really good. You know, you did well, sunny boy. Coincidentally, Rumsfeld just released his memoir after the oh, great. Uh, Bush Can't. administration and it's I think it's like a thousand page mega book basically the book should be called Pass the Buck because <laughs> he literally every single at every single turn when it comes to like you know important decisions that were controversial that needed to oh, be yeah. made he just acts like you know he was just along for the ride and he had nothing to do with it can't wait till Rumsfeld goes on his book tour just like all these other criminals just prancing around the country selling books yeah I love the Louis C.K. thing where he yeah. was uh, Donald, if anybody hasn't heard this, Donald Rumsfeld was on the Opie and Anthony show, which is one of the most infuriating, stupid radio shows ever. Not because it's dirty like Howard Stern. I mean, I I love that kind of stuff sometimes. But this is like cool conservatism, like coming from the same, um, like, you know, weird New Yorky, like I'm a cool conservative, like Colin Quinn or... Um, or that other awful comedian who's sometimes on Louis C.K. Yeah, the Italian dude with the bushy Ugh. eyebrows. I hate yeah, him. Yeah, or or Jim Norton. Oh, those guys are yeah. the worst comedians ever. Um, <laughs> but anyways, he was on the Open Anthony show and he was talking about 
you know, they had Rumsfeld on interviewing him, and they were all just totally giving Rumsfeld a free pass to just say whatever he wants. And Louis C.K. was a guest on the show, and he was just like, "Tell, tell us how you're not a reptile person. Are you, are you a reptile?" And Rumsfeld wouldn't answer the question. It was so yeah, good. Yeah, he just wouldn't he answer wouldn't it for like out. 19 minutes. Rumsfeld, or um, Louis C.K. was just like, why won't you answer? He's like, I just want to know if you've eaten human flesh. Have you or have you not? And he like does not answer him. And he's like, can reptiles like not answer yes or no? He's like, does that mean that you are a reptile? It's very good. Yeah, it's just really, really funny. It's a clarification. We here at Media Roots aren't yeah. don't subscribe to the uh, <laughs> reptile conspiracy theory. No, we do not subscribe to that. But it's just it's hilarious and an open Anthony are just like, sorry, sorry, he's just a comedian. He's a comedian. Yeah. Like it's oh, so man. good. Oh my God. I, I'm actually really happy that Michael Moore is being really outspoken um about this Libyan bombing i think i think he's doing really well at first i was like oh my god is michael moore going along with this because he's been such a big advocate of of obama's policies so far but he's been really against this and um i really agree with everything he's been saying and it's really awesome apparently he was on the colbert report last night i i want to watch it but um one thing he said is just like why are we intervening in these revolutions happening i mean there's a beautiful organic thing happening and on the other side of the world and we are completely intervening in them and we're just going to fuck it up. I just don't understand why we are doing this. Yeah. I mean, we just need to tilt it in whatever, you know, in our favor and, and make all these modifications. I mean, it's, it's totally ends justifies means they don't need to actually have a coherent reason for doing it. I mean, just like that CIA, um, video that CIA liaison in I think Chile that was, that actually was behind the Pinochet propping up, um, there's a video of him that that just was put on YouTube where he's being interviewed by a British reporter, and the British reporter is basically saying, "So you're saying it's worth it that Pinochet killed, you know, thousands of people, but he, but you know, in the end, you got what you needed." And the guy basically says, "Yeah, it was." And he's like, "If you don't like it, then we, you know, then we're the ones who protect you and everybody else. So what are you going to do about it? We do what we want, basically." What are you going to do about it? Yeah. I mean, that's the attitude that comes from the inside. I mean, it, it really does. Obama puts a pretty, you know, nice, pragmatic, intelligent, reasonable face on it, you know. But, I mean, in reality, the people who really do pull the strings, I mean, this is how they think. They're unapologetic. They're sociopathic. Um, they're cold. They're calculating. And they really only care about their families and their wealth. Another thing that Obama did that pissed me off lately was go on television and talk about his March Madness basketball picks. Meanwhile, the we're, the world's awaiting nuclear fallout. I mean, Japan's reactors are on the verge of meltdown. It, it's just offensive to me. I mean, I'm not against him, whatever, pl- supporting sports or that's fine. But, you know, when there's a worldwide emergency and when it's going to affect everyone on the planet and when we have nuclear reactors in this country that have almost identical designs, the only difference is that they have vents. So there's a lot of them near the fault on the shoreline. I mean, I want, I think that this should be an issue that he should have immediately gotten together and said, okay, this is a serious issue. We are due for a giant earthquake in California. It's just irresponsible at best. Um, And for him to actually go out and take a vacation right after this all happened and go on and pick his basketball picks i mean it's offensive i was i was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago when when all this stuff you know when all the shit hit the fan 
all the Fukushima thing and the and the Libyan thing. I it's it just seems like even from a generic you know American you know I want my president to be strong and and you know and, and stand up. Uh, it's it just seems like Obama is failing not only on the policy level, you know, doing so many bad things, but he's actually failing just in a come from a confidence perspective. He just seems to not be able to project any confidence anymore as a yeah. president. It's he, like he. He's so wishy-washy. He's like taken no stand on anything. So it's like made everyone just hate him. It's like, well, if you don't take a stand on anything, then it's it's weird. I mean, I mean, and, I, and the thing is, I really can't see him losing the next election necessarily. Yeah. It's at the same time. You can't change your horse midstream. <laughs> Stupid fucking thing. People have said that to me. I'm like, what does that mean, cowboy? Um, <clears throat> yeah, no. The, I mean. We should immediately be getting together as a world community and be talking about nuclear energy and how we can't properly harness it or we can't properly or safely harness nuclear energy. And it has potentially disastrous consequences. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it it seems in theory like a flawless thing, you know, besides the you know, we we haven't figured out what to do with the waste yet besides store it underground. Um, Besides that, it seems like people who are pro nuclear power. Um, and I have to admit, I was pretty pro nuclear power until until this happened. I I really just didn't do very much research on it. I didn't know a lot of the the drawbacks to the designs and the places we built nuclear power plants. But in a vacuum, if you think about it as just this conceptual thing, you know, we we harness we enrich the uranium, we um, then we harness the steam coming from the the pools of water um, that that the uranium is in that are boiling. Uh, and and convert that to energy, and and this energy is extremely powerful, and you know it's very clean. The emissions from it are very clean. Um, all that sounds really good, but when you think about it in the real world, um, when you think about where they built nuclear power plants on fault lines in California, I mean against um, you know wave breaks in Japan, um, where the tsunami walls, you know the wall that they thought that it would protect the nuclear power plant was only half, you know the the height of the tsunami wave that came over i just think in a real world scenario there's many more potential problems than people would like to admit with nuclear power and just if you think about it from the perspective that the only these plants need constant attention part of the reason why the plant is having problems in fukushima is because they can't actually access a part of it because the radiation is too high yeah, what was that, that documentary that you were telling me about? It was really a yeah, creepy, I mean, apocalyptic I mean, view. Yeah, there's a couple books written about this. There's a, there's a few National Geographic documentaries. Alex Jones was all, you know, saying that they were all about the depopulation plan and all that. But they were basically just documentaries about what would happen to the world's infrastructure if humans just disappeared from the planet and they showed things like some of the biggest things that would happen is nuclear power plants would have meltdowns because they need constant attention. They can't run on their own. Um, so scary. They have emergency backup systems like we saw at Fukushima. Almost all mm-hmm. of them failed. Mm-hmm. I think the last one that didn't fail, uh, the reason it wasn't really even functioning is because there was like a crack in the reservoir that the water was supposed to be going into. So it wasn't ever able to ever fill up properly. Like right now, it's it's fine. There's not really a big problem with Fukushima, but at the same time, they're not allowing... The U.S. has blocked all Japanese food imports temporarily. Yeah, and Japanese Japanese officials are saying, quote, there's no threat to marine life or food safety when the iodine levels have skyrocketed, and we're talking about, like, 
30 miles off coast. The radiation levels on the site are like, I don't know, it's been quoted like over 100,000 times normal level. I mean, this is going to go into the atmosphere. This is going to affect everything. It's going to affect all of our fish that comes from Asia. I mean, it's it's this really, really scary thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's also, you know, and I don't think we should... It's it's unfortunate that as you know when you do news like this you have to choose certain issues to focus on and I and I hate to not mention the fact that you know the tsunami itself was extremely terrible yeah. and tragic in Japan and and you know it's just so awful that they're dealing with this on top of yeah. recovering from the tsunami I mean then you see those racist comments like there's this website called youropenbook.com where you can search for terms and you can search everyone's public Facebook profiles and this was happening on this was a trending topic on Twitter too was Pearl Harbor and Japan and we searched for Pearl Harbor and Japan on this my open book thing and saw all these extraordinarily racist ignorant comments coming from hundreds of people talking about you know how the Japanese deserved what happened to them and it's just it's so sad that these people are actually that ignorant walking among us yeah. Um, There's no justification for that ignorance to say that these people deserve to die. Yeah, and it and it just it just makes me you know postulate a little bit about you know the future and and how just these large natural disasters. I mean, no matter what we do as a civilization, there's nothing we could do to prevent a giant tsunami mm-hmm. or a giant earthquake. I mean, they're going to keep happening. Um, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily know if there's going to be another one in the Bay Area soon, but I mean, there is going to be another big quake in the bay area probably at some point in our lifetime um i don't know if it, you know i hope it doesn't happen soon and then down in southern california there's apparently a bunch of or there's at least two nuclear power plants that are built like on a fault Nofre, line yeah um i mean just things like that just to me you know it undermines the whole idea that nuclear power is a safe clean source of energy yeah, that, we should, we're not, that we should focus on because we're not accounting for like external things that happen out of our control yeah i mean there there are situations where it could be really really dangerous i honestly did not i feel really dumb to say this from how much news i read but i did not know how nuclear power was actually harnessed until this happened i didn't realize that it was just sitting in basically a pool of water yeah so crazy it's it's actually (laughs) such a it's a very elegant simplistic thing that they're doing that the difficult part of it the most elaborate process of it besides all the pumps i mean a nuclear power plant basically consists of a huge water pumping system and you know hydrothermal energy converter basically um the actual reactor cores themselves are not that large the the part that takes up the most space is all is the you know the pumps and all the the pipes and everything mm-hmm. they have for the water but <laughs> but i was just doing some research on the the uranium enrichment process um that's the part that that's that seems to take the most you know mm-hmm. time and 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 is the most complicated and actually mining uranium is uh something that's been going on since the 1800s there's you know the the theory of peak coal that people talk mm-hmm. about and peak oil that we're that we're depleting our you know limited uh, energy resources well the same could be said for uranium you know we found most of the uranium deposits that we think exist in the world uh 
the largest one I think is in Kazakhstan. The second largest one is in Australia. Um, we have our own uranium deposits in sandstone. If you go to like the Arizona desert, you can sometimes see um, small traces of uranium, which is like a green hue in the mm. sandstone. So it isn't, smoke. I mean, even if we were to completely safely harness it once we had these plants up and running, you're saying that the actual mining of uranium is really costly and destructive as well. It's very destructive and it has, there's an extreme taboo against doing it because not only is there a, a taboo against nuclear power in general, but uranium mining is used for nuclear weapons and nuclear power mm. only. I mean, that's pretty much the only two main uses for it. Uh, so, I mean, that's already, you know, has bad aspersions cast on it for good reason. But, but yeah, uranium mining in and of itself can be uh, harmful for the environment. It can be very harmful. There's tons of uranium mines in the United States that the EPA has basically deemed off limits that, they claim they're going to try to clean up and quarantine, but I mean, they're if you go in them, you can get radiation poisoning. I yeah. mean, or you go near them. I mean, the area near it, the groundwater, um, the water run runoffs from a lot of these mining operations is still toxic. Yeah, check out our SoundCloud timeline right now. I'm going to post a video that I saw of just all the nuclear testings that have happened all over the world in the past. You know, since we've basically created nuclear energy, um, and it's really crazy. You see there's just like hundreds, if not thousands, of, of testings all over the place. And it's just funny that we don't ever talk about the effects of those. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we're harnessing something really powerful. Um, and, you know, we understand certain mechanisms behind it, but we obviously don't understand how to use it in a responsible way yet. I mean, I, I think that until we figure out a way to dispose of the of the byproduct of it, I mean, we shouldn't be fooling ourselves into thinking that, this is a safe thing. Right. I mean, and, and just look at what could happen if, you know, a natural disaster happens near a nuclear power plant. Yeah. I mean, exactly. a man-made disaster even or an explosion right. or something, you know, I mean, there's so many things that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. And Japan's one of the most advanced civilizations on the planet and they still are having, you know, this horrific thing happening. Um, there's there's this one theory that I read about, and I don't know if there's any truth behind this. If anybody out there listening has heard about this, uh, let us know. That that seawater, um, there's a, there apparently in most seawater that there's a 3.3 milligram per cubic meter of seawater of uranium. Uh, but I mean, to actually filter that water and get that the uranium out of it to make a significant amount would be extremely costly and not efficient but apparently there's people who say that there's such a large supply of uranium or in or just uranium particles in the ocean that we could you know run nuclear power for hundreds of years just on that and wow that's really interesting i've never heard that yeah i, d I don't know that kind of it could be bullshit um and before we get into the concept of peak energy um just these resources hitting a, a, a point, you know, where, where we're basically realizing that we're depleting them and that they're not infinite. Um, I just wanted to mention really quickly another hypocrisy. When you're just looking at conservation and preparedness, if you look at the Cold War, World War II, it was all about conservation, pulling together, growing a victory garden, garden collecting scrap, um, rubber, just all these things. Um, and now it just seems like 
you know, we have Obama coming out right after this nuclear disaster in Japan saying, don't buy iodine. Not that we should be taking iodine. Of course, that, that that's ridiculous. We should only take it if we need to. Otherwise, it's really harmful for your body. But to come out and say to not prepare, to actually make a statement and say, do not prepare, nothing, none of the radiation levels are harmful at all, I think is irresponsible as well. Um, we should always be prepared. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. These are elements out of our control, really. And if if people just prepared, I think that would be a really good thing. I remember growing up after the 89 earthquake, and we focused on a lot of um, preparation for earthquakes in school and talked about it a lot. And I, th I think it's just kind of, it needs to be readdressed. And if people want to have an alternative, they can stock up on some kelp. That's a natural supplement that you can take that naturally battles radi radiation in your body. So that's one thing that you can do to be prepared if you know, just in case there is a nuclear meltdown somewhere. I think it's good to have these things. Yeah, I mean, or just, just in general, I mean, if there is some kind of disaster, whether it be, um, you know, you know the, the economy collapses or, you know, an earthquake or a fire, um, you should have, you know, a water filter. Um, you know, you should, you should have some place where you could store fuel. Um, it's not bad to have a generator. Uh, you know, store a lot of water. I mean, because you can always boil or yeah. filter it. Or worst case scenario, it, w absolute worst case scenario, you can bleach water and make it sanitary. Hmm. Um, very small amount of bleach. And also seeing what happened in Egypt when the cell phones and no one was able to access the internet. I think we should talk about this too, Robbie, is like a meeting place if our cell phones aren't working or our computers aren't working. We need to everyone should talk with their neighbors or talk with their friends and family and have a place to meet. Yeah. I mean, not to scare anyone here, but this is just making me think about things. No. And it's not a bad idea also to figure out how to broadcast and receive ham radio signals on a, on a um, shortwave radio. Mm -hmm. um, because if, if something happens and, and the cell phones go down and FM radio, AM radio is down and the internet's down, I mean, shortwave radio there's a high potential of you still being able to get through to a lot of, um, you know, radio signals there. Ralph Nader made an awesome point about the risks of nuclear energy. He calls it technological insanity. And we're going to play this clip of him on Democracy Now! talking about nuclear energy. It's really awesome. Uh, your assessment, uh, not only of what's happening in Japan, but what the impact will be here in the United States, on, uh, and especially with the Obama administration and Congress trying to move forward with a, a renaissance of uh, development of nuclear plants here in the United States. The Japanese disaster has ended whatever nuclear renaissance is uh, being considered here in the United States. The problem is the people have got to get more involved because the government and the industry will defend nuclear power in the United States to the last mutation. They are re representing a closed, monetized mind that does not have options for revision, which true science should provide for. Secretary Chu, Energy Secretary, has refused for two years to meet with the leading critics of nuclear power, such as the Union of Concerned Scientists, Friends of the Earth, and other groups. He has met with nuclear uh, business interests regularly, and he has written articles touting nuclear power. What we're seeing here is 110 or so uh, operating nuclear plants in the United States, many of them aging, many of them infected with corrosion, faulty pipes, uh, uh, leaky pumps, uh, and uh, combustible materials. 
These have been documented uh, by data from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission assembled by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Indian Point, for example, is a plant that presents undue risks, in the opinion of the Union of Concerned Scientists, to millions of people in the, in the New York City greater area, and it is unevacuable if there is a, uh, an accident. You're never going to evacuate a population of millions of people, whether it's around San Onofre or Diablo Canyon in Southern California, or Indian Point, or Davis-Bessey near Toledo and Detroit or any of the other endangered nuclear plants. Why are we playing Russian roulette with the American people for nuclear plants whose principal objective is simply to boil water and produce steam? This is technological insanity. It presents national security problems for every nuclear plant as a prime target. Uh, it affects our civil liberties. It endangers our workers. It, it is an industry that cannot be financed by Wall Street because it's too risky. Wall Street demands 100 percent taxpayer guarantees uh, for any nuclear plant. So your friend's dad um, actually wrote a paper in The New York Times talked about this, about peak coal. No one really talks about peak coal. We've heard a lot about peak oil and there's a theory that oil is an infinite resource that the earth just gives us, which doesn't make sense to me. If you look at what it is, it's compressed matter. Um, so of course there's a finite resource of that on the earth. But anyways, um, there, you know, we've heard a lot about the concept of peak oil and how we've gotten to a point where we're now depleting it and we cannot, basically we're getting to a point where we can't extract it properly or efficiently enough to sustain our consumption. And this is happening with pretty much every resource that we see on the planet today. Peak coal is definitely another one. So this New York Times article talks about the study about peak coal and just says that the peak coal moment has arrived. And it's talking about a peer-reviewed article published in the journal Energy, writing that the world will hit peak oil production this year, 2011, and that mining would began a, a steep decline. Um, you mean peak coal production? What did oil. I say? Oh, I'm sorry. Peak coal production. Here, let me repeat this. <clears throat> so the, this is a New York Times article talking about this study about peak coal, and it's just talking about how the peak coal moment has arrived. Um, this study was published in the journal Energy, and it's talking about how in 2011 the world is going to hit peak coal production and mining is going to begin a long, steep decline. The predictions are based on the Hubbard cycle. It's a resource depletion theory, um, and it's also used to analyze pretty much peak oil as well as other things. And basically it's saying that it might not mean that the resource is actually finite. It just means that our technological capability of extraction of these re resources is not able to keep up and we found a lot of coal reserves. Uh, I think we were telling me this earlier that are that we found, but and they actually have large amounts of coal that we haven't tapped yet. But to actually mm -hmm. mine them and make use of them would take vast amounts of energy, money, and time, and that would actually outweigh the benefit that it would give us. And and that's and that's part of that curve. The the, the right. steeper it gets, you know, the more costly it would be to extract this coal that we found. And also they're saying that if we consume any more, if we use any more than we already are right now, then we also won't. I mean, even if we are able to extract it right now, I think 
that's also fuck is that even right never mind i feel like i'm losing it was there anything else interesting from that paper no should we just talk really quickly about uh what you were saying i really like what that point that you made about how like even water is oh yeah you know um there's a book written called Peak Everything, um, and I haven't read it, but you know I've been researching a little bit more on this this Hubbard curve and the and the peak oil theory recently, and it seems like you know kind of an untalked about thing. It seems like peak oil gets most of the focus when you think about finite resources on the Earth that we need to survive and prolong our species, um, but you know other resources like water are even finite. I mean, they're renewable in a sense that, you know, you can keep reusing water, but I mean, we, there's aspects of, of, um, you know, water runoff from, from chemical plants and there's different just natural processes on the earth that, I mean, the amount of water that we consume, I mean, it might eventually someday become undrinkable. Yeah. I mean, we won't be the able to The amount of chemicals it. that are constantly being put in it. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating to think about that, how water can't be created. It can only be just recycled in different forms. Yeah, and we use so many aquifers, which are natural underground occurring reservoirs of water um, to supply populations with water. So, like, once those go away, we're going to have to think of an alternative for where those aquifers were. We don't refill them. They're not like reservoirs like, you know, like rainwater or, or things like that. So, I mean... Every resource that we use to get energy from, I mean, most resources can be looked at as finite resources that we, as a species, are, um, you know, not able to generate from out of thin air. I mean, uranium, coal, oil, uh, water. I mean, Mm -hmm. water less so, but I mean, you get the idea. It's amazing to think of what the earth provides for us that would be clean, that we chose not to harness you know i mean like wind solar wave geothermal all these things could be harnessed so cleanly i mean if we were to just set up these systems to work Mm -hmm. with the earth not against it it's just it's amazing yeah i mean and just all this all this material that the earth has in it um that we've found i mean especially fossil fuel this is this material should be like cherished you know i mean it's almost like a mm-hmm. magic substance mm-hmm. that has been brewing there for millions of years and now we've tapped into it and we just burn it up for our cars you know to watch tv it's it's just it just doesn't seem like we're on the right track as far as <laughs> what you know what we're going to do seems in the future. slightly short-sighted <laughs> yeah and you know i'm not one of those people who thinks we should all you know cut down on our energy consumption because i don't i really don't think it's going to matter. I mean, we're all so used to the amount of energy that we all consume. I mean, especially here in the United States, you know, dropping our own energy consumption or trying to put back energy into the grid is kind of just a drop in the bucket. I mean, I think I'm all for the idea of if you can do it and set it up, you should try to get completely off the grid and actually mm-hmm. set yourself up so that you can live off your own solar panels. and You're not even connected to a power company at all. Um, yeah. Not, I don't really understand the idea of putting energy. I mean, I, I kind of understand it, but I think that's just more of like a 
you know, to free your own conscience or something. Or lower well, your yeah, power I mean, bill. I also think that that could be damaging when people just say like, "Oh, I'm watching my carbon footprint, so I don't need to care about anything else." So the people who buy into the whole global warming scam, the you know, which I mean, it, what's interesting is it's been getting really cold <laughs> in the past like five years. The Earth hasn't really been warming, but the scam in the way that they're selling the idea, and you know, just all the they're just it's the greenwashing movement. It's this whole movement where they're capitalizing on people's I don't know. People just taking more of an active role in like being a conscious citizen and caring more about their consumption and stuff. And that's what sickens me is just the corporatization of that, you know, that energy that they've, that they've picked up on. But yeah, I mean, you can sit there and count your carbon footprint all day, but that's not really going to change anything. I mean, these multinational corporations, you see the methane from, slaughterhouses is like so much more of a danger if you're looking at the carbon emissions on the planet than even cars are so you can't really talk logically about your personal consumption if unless you're like okay well are you a vegetarian unless you're separated from the whole yeah the whole system i mean if you live in a cabin and you live off the land i mean you 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 fish out of the sea and, and you know you make your own furniture out of wood and all that stuff i mean that's <laughs> that's awesome um but i don't think most people do that. I think most people who like to wear this badge of being environmentally conscious, they do these little things that they're almost like, it's almost like the little donation plate that comes around at church. It's like, you know, by giving a dollar, but as long as you give a dollar, even if you're a sinner. Yeah. As long as you make your confession and give a dollar at church, then your sins are washed away. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, exactly. It's, or, or, or yeah, or give a confession. I mean, it's, I feel like it's the same kind of, weird Michael Crichton has described modern environmentalism as a religion where people make these little sacrifices, you know, to their, Mm -hmm. to the the earth or whatever. And then they feel washed away of their sins. But I don't, I mean, I just don't understand that mentality. I mean, you have to undermine the whole system. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, just accept that you are just as much of a part of it as everybody else is. And Mm -hmm. if you want to do those things and that they make you feel better, that's, that's fine. But I mean, don't judge other people for not doing them. I mean, like, like don't judge other people for For driving, not washing out your bottle of apple juice before you threw it in the recycling thing, not rinsing it out. I mean, you know, I mean, at least that person's recycling. I mean, I seriously, I've there's some really, yeah. I mean, the Bay area is really controlling environmentalist people out there. I mean, yeah. I've no, I've noticed it a lot since moving here. A the lot Bay of the Bay Area weird, is a very interesting liberal, place in that regard. Very liberal. It's some elitism. of the most self-important, head up its ass. Um, yeah, it's like that South, South Park episode it about is, yeah. the Prius owners. Um, one one thing really quickly before I forget, do you know helium is actually like a, being depleted? Yeah, it's like gonna be gone soon. Well, I was Not reading soon, that online that there's peak helium. Yeah, yeah. Is that crazy? I mean there's peak. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. I mean, natural gas. There's peak natural gas. These things don't exist forever. Right. I mean, even even hydrothermal energy that comes from natural vents in the earth. I mean, if you build a power plant over that and harness that, I mean, eventually it's going to go away. It's not going to. It's also dangerous because it's like by a fault. Like. I really <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that too. Probably. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. It's been an awesome show and. It was really good to catch up on all the stuff that's going on. Hope you guys enjoyed the program. Go to MediaRoots.org. Check out the SoundCloud timeline for all the information we talked about during the broadcast. And stay tuned for an exclusive artist interview with Fluorescent Gray, a.k.a. Robbie Martin, co-host of the show. It's going to be an exclusive artist interview along with the first edition of Media Roots Music. Uh, 
mix that he's going to make just for the show. So thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to donate to MediaRoots.org, and talk to you later. Peace. Good night.